¿Qué pasa? Muy bien, mi amigo. <laughs> But I don't, I don't know if that's Catalonian or not, to be honest. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> no, no, notice, no garage, no New Jersey garage. This is it. This is big This news is for the shot of digital health therapy season three. Three. Something. Episode <laughs> something. But uh, we've, I, I actually was, uh, was looking uh, earlier. So I think I did one out of Berlin when Marina and I went to like pack all the stuff up in June. Uh, okay. And then just a few weeks ago from Florence. Florence. Right. You, you've been stable in Ireland. But yeah, a couple of locations. I almost did it from Edinburgh tonight because uh, I had to go over there. But it's I'm in Dublin, so it's just still Dublin in my office. It's between my office and my home. I think that's the only locations I've done. Yeah, it, correct? Okay. Yeah, yeah, I think so. But you know, we can we can have whenever we get an intern for for our big media <laughs> empire here, we'll we'll get them to do some retrospectives. But yeah, so this is um oh, Barcelona. We, We came in Monday. Um, I don't know. Usually, like jet lag is kind of okay. I don't usually don't jet lag, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. This time it's like Wednesday already, and I'm still kind of weirded out. This is weird doing this at 8 p.m. and it's not sunny anymore. Okay. So outside. So how, so at your, so you have to obviously kind of quarantine a bit or, or stay in. Or so I there is no restriction. We're, we're kind of doing, uh, you know, doing the testing ourselves, right? So um, there are no, um, there is a QR code coming in that you have to register and stuff. Um, there is no requirement to quarantine. Um, okay. Nothing was told. So we're, you know, I mean, we're kind of Conscious. self Yeah, we're not seeing any friends or anything. Um, you know, our friend Anish uh, yeah. was a, came as a welcoming committee from uh, far away, but th that was okay. nice. Um, but otherwise, yeah. yeah, we're staying sort of put. Uh, obviously, lots of people in the whole digital health space are here. We'd love to see them all, but just hang tight. Hang yeah, tight. yeah, yeah, that's great. So what anyway. else? So how are you feeling? Like it's is um kind of excitement or difference Su or super or excited. Now I just need to figure out um you know the whole schedule thing. Like I still have like you know the U.S. calls go way late because they've been pre-scheduled. Okay. So now I just need to figure all that stuff out, settle in, right. look you know looking at places and things like that. So fantastic. fantastic. Oh good, but um to Europe, we got you back. We got you yes, back. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Happy to be I, back I'm here. I'm definitely going to go do an episode from Barcelona because I'm dying for a bit of warm weather, and, man. You know? <laughs> like and, and anytime. Honestly, we're just like looking at this just gorgeous, gorgeous weather. Um, you know, today yeah. I think it's going to, tonight it's going to rain a little, but then back to sunshine. So that's right. why we're here. Sunshine, great people, great food. Um, however, you know, on our, you know, situation update, um, I have not read it, but I already heard uh, the next lockdown limited. Right no restaurants or bars um, right. for 15 days, I think starts Friday. So right. we'll, we'll see what this all brings, but just, just in time for another lockdown, the Borohovich family <laughs> has landed. <laughs> you guys are like kind of flying in like seagulls. Yeah. So we got, you know, our guest today um, Uh, is waiting in the in the waiting room already. Uh, I met her, um, I guess, sometime early 19. 
Okay. Um, and I'll let her do the introduction, but I'll, I'll kind of pre-announce her. Um, Mimi Billing uh, from yeah. Sifted, which kind of came on the scene. I've never heard of it up until it came on the scene. Okay. Apparently invested by Financial Times um, and just covering startups across Europe. And uh, Mimi specifically been covering mainly digital health. So uh, okay. this should be a good shot of digital health therapy. So I'm going to let Mimi in. Okay, great. And she's, uh, is she originally from Stockholm or she's? We'll, we'll find, find out from Mimi. Great. Hi there. Hey. Hi, Mimi. Good hey, to Mimi. see you. Good to see you too. Um, I realized that I'm sitting here in almost complete darkness in uh, the <laughs> middle of Sweden in the countryside. And it, it just doesn't seem like you are doing the same thing, right? <laughs> uh, the midnight sun there? Or you know, <laughs> Jim is in Dublin. I'm now, as of Monday, in Barcelona. So came back to this side of the pond. But your, your scenery that looks like, you know, those night vision gla glasses that you can see. It's like a little greenish. So it's perfect. <laughs> well, I didn't realize there would be video as well. So, I mean, you're lucky that you can see this at least. <laughs> so... It's no. Yeah. It's all good. So maybe I was just telling Jim, you know, you and I nice met. Um, yeah, so this is Jim, Jim, Mimi, you know, the, ho the whole you. process here was supposed to mimic uh, a bar conversation. So somebody knows somebody and I introduce them or vice versa. And we're going to talk about digital health. I just realized actually, I don't have any drinks in this household yet. So today I'm not going to yeah. take any shots. But um, yeah, so I was telling Jim that you and I met, I think, in Stockholm um, at one of the events. Um, and I was, I think when you reached out um, to be on a panel, my question was, what the hell is Sifted? I've never heard of it. This was like, I think, early 2019. So maybe just give our audience a little bit about your background and actually a little bit more about Sifted. Absolutely. I mean... I didn't know that much about Sifted either in the, the late 2018, uh, but it was because it didn't start until then. So this site is uh, Sifted, is, uh, or if I can do some advertisement, Sifted.eu is a European uh, tech site uh, on the startup site. And we focus on the whole of Europe and we're trying to... I mean, do something a little bit different than maybe most other media does. We're trying to go more in-depth into each and every story, even if it's, you know, obviously in the beginning we said we're not going to write about any financial rounds. And now we do. But if we do, we always try to dig a little bit deeper. Why is it interesting? What's happening to the whole kind of sector uh, in whatever sector we go into? So it was actually founded by... a. a uh, the innovation editor, John Thornhill, uh, as well as uh, 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 a techie guy, Casper. Um, and I mean, so we have the kind of financial times behind us a little bit, but um, we are trying, well, we are very independent still okay. and trying to just kind of grow. And That's uh, what they all say. No. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, I, I used to work for a Swedish tech site, which was actually part of Dagens industry, which no one outside of Sweden perhaps knows of. But, uh, and that wasn't that independent, but we tried to be a very independent too. But we were sitting in the same office. At least now we're not sitting in the same office. And I'm definitely not. Obviously. I was going to say, none of us are sitting in the same office for the most part <laughs> these days. So, right. no, true. 
And so do you have a background in, uh, in healthcare? Is that your kind of area of interest or technology? No, I, I mean, yes, right. it's an interest, definitely. But I, um, I, I'm, I mean, from the beginning, I'm kind of, uh, well, what have I done? I mean, I'm a management consultant uh, from the beginning. I was working for Accenture a couple of years in London. And okay. I realized that management consultancy was not my cup of tea. So I moved back to Sweden and became a journalist and uh, have well I've been trying to get back at, back at them ever since no I haven't yeah. but uh, <laughs> but uh, no so then I got into the whole kind of startup scene and uh, started writing about that in 2015 yeah and uh, and and I think at the time in Sweden at least I mean health tech was kind of it's starting to bubble a bit I mean you had Cree or Livy as yeah. you call it in the UK I mean, right. they just started off really. So I remember having lunch with Johannes Schiltz in 2016, I think it was. And we were talking about, you know, telemedicine. I mean, it was really in, in the beginning in Sweden. So yeah. even if I never really thought of myself as a health tech reporter, I mean, health tech yeah. was already by then a kind of a big thing in the, the Nordics. What's so how do you... Tech con- what's that big tech conference where um, in Sweden there's a there's a big tech conference that there's a fellow from Cal- uh, from California that moved to Sweden and set it up isn't there yeah Tyler Crowley Tyler. Yeah, yeah so that's a that's the Stockholm Tech uh, Festival that uh, yep. you know once a year but he also does monthly meetups and actually that was a Stockholm Tech Festival was with me and Eugene met up for the first time on ah, stage that's right so. But yes, he's um, he's the done good really old days well. of travel. The good old days of travel <laughs> and <laughs> hugging people and yeah. yeah. But Tyler Crowley has done well because he's. Uh, I mean, he moved to Sweden quite early before there were any kind of tech media writing about yeah. the startup scene there, and I, th- I would say that he was one, probably one of the key people why the Stockholm tech scene today is so vibrant. Yeah. Uh, so that's uh, that's quite quite amazing. But, yeah, uh, I followed him. He 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 was he was kind of the straight man on a podcast out of California with Jason Calacanis. And I used to like when I first became an entrepreneur, that was like my go-to like Bible of a podcast and I listened to. And he was kind of the straight man, you know, like Calacanis was the kind of uh and then he says, I'm gonna all of out of nowhere, he just announced he was gonna move to Sweden <laughs> to set up the 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 company or something. I think he had a girlfriend there. I don't know what the story yeah. was. But and now he actually, I mean, he lives hard. He's in Asia now, now, right? Thailand. Pardon? Yeah, he's in Asia now, right? Yeah, he's in Thailand. He's running a yeah. hotel there, I think. Yeah. yeah. So um, but he, he's a nice guy and he's uh, he's doing uh, really well for himself, even in like now with coronavirus crisis. I mean, he still has these meetups every month and so on. And uh, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how, do, how does one, cause you mentioned you went, I'm, I'm actually just curious because you know, Jim and I are doing this meticulously unproduced thing, right? <laughs> but how does one go from uh, consulting to become a journalist, right? Like I, like what was the trigger and, and well, actually, I, I mean, uh, well, <laughs> that's why I'm asking. No. Okay, this is a long story. So that I'm going to do a really, really, really short version. Um, but 30 I second pitch. Israel, <laughs> yeah, I went to Israel with a few friends. And uh, 
uh, they were all journalists. So they were all kind of dragging me along to, to these kind of interviews and stuff. But what I realized was that I had as many questions as they did. So in the end, they were like, well, why don't you just become a journalist? And at the time I said, so, well, I'm, I already done a BA and an MA in two different areas. And I don't know if I have any, I mean, can I really study again? And then uh, I found this course that was just a year and a half. Uh, so then, yeah, I became a journalist. And um, it, it wasn't as hard as everyone was saying that, you know, I mean, I don't know if you know that about journalism elsewhere, but in Sweden anyway, it's really difficult to get a job as a journalist. But um, yeah. so I'm, I'm kind of grateful that things have worked out. But it's... Um, it's, it's one of those jobs where I think it's great because you get to meet all these people and they are obviously telling you about both the problems, but also, I mean, what they've been doing well. And yeah. uh, it's just great to follow these kind of startups and companies, yeah. you know, and so much happens in just a few years. So that's been uh, amazing. So I know uh, you kind of mentioned Cree, right? Uh, am I pronouncing it right? Yeah. Um, there's, and but you've been covering kind of Europe wide, right? And, and we've had, Jim and I had these discussions, right? Like US market, European market, especially in digital health, right? And we've kind of talked about the fact that because it's, you know, you cross kind of the old proverbial borders from, you know, Belgium to Netherlands or from Finland to Sweden, you know, the systems are different. The money flows are different. What are you seeing as a journalist, right? I mean, you've interviewed so many startups on the scaling part of it. Well, I think that's really interesting. I mean, a key question for Europe, really, because you have the ones like, as we mentioned, Kri, who's managed to do it, who managed to scale in both like, the UK, France, um, Norway, and you know, spread out in Germany now as well. But then you have others that saying, well, actually, Europe is really, really difficult place to scale at. So let's not go there. Let's go to the US straight away, or let's go to the Middle yep. East, which has a great growth potential. I mean, so I think perhaps with this kind of, with Europe's system of having a very kind of old machinery as well of us having had health health system for so long it's really difficult to change it as well right but then perhaps i mean perhaps uh, europe is changing because you can see that i mean i know that you mentioned diga uh, in germany last week just very quickly and yeah. i mean that is uh, a sign that the government in germany really wants to open up the system to actually bring in digital solutions and i mean if that could happen elsewhere in europe perhaps it would be easy to scale um, but uh, you know as you can see now i mean babylon health for example they're going yep. straight to the us others are right. looking at asia and so on so i still think do, it's a few years do, to go do you think um i mean it's an interesting point you bring up like on on Cree and johannes right because i mean they've been working really really hard to expand out in europe right and it, i think it takes persistent dedication understanding all the systems versus say well let's just jump to us 330 million people contiguous market go right so um i does it take certain types of entrepreneurs in Europe? Like, I, I mean, you, you talk to entrepreneurs every day, right? Or every other day. Like, I'm just, uh, I'm diving in a little deeper on this topic because it's been fascinating me as an American living in Europe for nine years ongoing, how hard it is actually. Mm. Well, I don't know. I think, 
I don't know. I mean, Johannes is obviously a uh, Johannes Schilt at Kree is obviously like a special person. He kind of is really good at fundraising and <laughs> it's really good at kind of handling those kind of discussions and so on. So perhaps, I mean, that's necessary, obviously, but that would be necessary in the US as well, I suppose. Yeah. But maybe you just need, I don't know. I, I think you have to just decide, right, where you're going to go. And uh, as Kree decided that we're going to go in Europe. Uh, but I think it's probably going to be as hard if you decide that you're going to go to the US because the US is is further away as well. I mean, uh, you, you have the time difference, which I think is actually a difficulty when you're sitting with one team in, in say, in San Diego and one team in London. I mean, it's a l- or even worse in, in Helsinki. I mean, because the hours in between is, is, yeah. is really right. difficult. So... I, yeah. I think it's, it'd be fascinating as a like a future article or something if you ever it, not that you're looking for ideas, but like is to actually map because my theory on it is like take Eugene. I just moved, went from New Jersey to Barcelona, right? Um, and hey, you know, hey, hey, a, New Jersey was temporary, temporary, my friend. <laughs> All right, so he went Berlin. Just, okay, <laughs> whatever. You know, and then you know, my my own company, uh, Health Beacon, we went from. We, we kind of followed the pharmaceutical companies. So we went from Ireland to like Belgium, to Netherlands, to Portugal, but that was all demand. Like it was based on, you know, who was interested in implementing the projects. And like, I think like, you know, like for example, you going to Barcelona, right? Like how much of that is driven by personal, you know, kind of you, you love the oh, culture. Completely, completely personal. In this case, this is completely personal. Our, our, our business is US focused, right? So. Um, and we, we have to adjust to the hours and it's a, yeah. it's a completely personal choice. So I, mean, I wonder how many times like that, like, so for me, like I'm fascinated. I'm a, like, maybe like yourself, I'm a traveler. I love to go places. I love to see new cities. So I, from the beginning and the fact that I'm in a small country, I had to build it. I had to build my company to survive in like lots of little markets, you know? Um, and, and I didn't want to go to the U S until I had more experience with the technology and the platform and more evidence of what we were doing. So I just chose that path a little bit. But I wonder yeah. how much. Yeah. But that's, I, I think I, I, I spoke to uh, an investor just yesterday and he was just mentioning that as well, that, I mean, for a few years ago, you didn't need to, you know, go global so quickly, but nowadays you have to go almost straight away. And perhaps then, I mean, being a European in a small European country, it's not such a big step to go to another small European country. But uh, I mean, if you, if you decide on the US, you need to have a lot of capital. And I think that's actually one of the key because I've seen companies like from Sweden trying to go to the UK only with too little money. And they just failed because they didn't have the money to make an impact in some way on, on the sector. Right. Yeah. And yeah, so if you don't have the money, and obviously it's going to cost you even more if you're going to go to the US than the UK almost because you, you know. Right. So I, I think it's, um, you know, maybe going to Norway from Sweden wouldn't cost that much because, you know, <laughs> right. you can drive over. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, it's, and what about this whole, like, and so, and are you going to follow a lot of companies? In, I imagine you follow a lot of companies in Stockholm and, and do you write in both Swedish and English and German or what do you, do you write only in? Yeah, I mean, Sifted is, uh, is well, it's language, it's English um, because obviously, I mean, otherwise 
my my editors wouldn't be able to read it <laughs> i think they'd maybe speak spanish as well but and not anyway not swedish so i write only in english now and um, but i don't only cover uh, the nordics but I, I cover the nordics with companies with all the kind of companies i mean right but not actually i mean health tech i do the whole european continent so i mean it's difficult because obviously as you know health tech is huge and especially in like europe how can you manage to just uh, be one person doing a health tech so how how many emails a day do you get from startups and pitches oh i don't know actually. <laughs> that was a deep breath oh <laughs> yeah I think I think actually PR people are. I mean, I, I don't mind PR people. Uh, I, I mind when PR, well, you know, when they don't actually know know you and they just send out all these kind of cold emails. And so you kind of. I, I think the problem is that actually the startups they disappear in between somewhere, and you just don't even find them almost. Yeah. So maybe it's like five, six emails a day from startups and about fifty from PR people. I mean, oh, wow. so yeah. So I had, you know, I, I think this is a, to me also a valid discussion because we do have a lot of startups listening. I, I think I we have no idea because it's unproduced. Um, but uh, uh, maybe a little hint to the startups. I was actually chatting, um, texting with Chrissy Farr, who, you know, her thing is just like with a startup goes to raise money with VCs. It's relationship building. Yes, the the people themselves need to be, you know, just awesome driven but it's a relationship and for some reason i think individuals assume that well pr people can do it on my behalf towards journalists it's also relationship building like mm -hmm. i'm curious like your thoughts on on this maybe like you kind of mentioned well i don't mind pr people but like do you mm -hmm. prefer one versus the other like what's the approach well i think it's a it's funny because i noticed since i started working for a, a you know a tech site based in london I mean, the UK PR people are so different from elsewhere because they expect you almost to want their help and they're going to set up everything and they call you back afterwards. And, and for me, I'm, I'm so used to just picking up the phone and just giving, I mean, giving someone a call because, I mean, obviously I already have a relationship with most CEOs that I want to have a relationship with in the startup world not all of them obviously not now especially not with the whole European tech scene but right. but uh, so I would say that if if I would ask or if startups would ask me how to get in touch I mean I would say I mean most of them nowadays get go through LinkedIn and just have me added and then just send me a message on there and saying you know what do you think about this news? Would you be interested? Right. Uh, and I think that's kind of an easy way because then I can say yes or no without actually <laughs> press, <laughs> you know, have to go into the emails and, you know, it's, yeah. it sounds harsh, but um, at least then we can create some kind of relationship and then, uh, and then move on from there. And I could just be very straight with them to tell them like, well, actually your company is too small or you haven't actually even launched it or, whatever yeah. their issue is. Uh, honestly, and I, and I know I don't want to generalize on the Nordics, but I found just, I'll, I'll still say the Nordics, to me, it's just the straightforwardness of people, like no bullshit. <laughs> like, I, I love it. 
I would. I don't think my boss always likes me for that. <laughs> but uh, you know, when well, it, it's uh, hey, listen. I just saw something that you just wrote for Financial Times, your first piece. So they must like you. I yeah. Mean, yeah. Congratulations okay. on that, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. Um, but it's uh, well. I, I think that we startup journalists perhaps shouldn't always be you know, stroking the startups' backs, if you see what I mean. I mean, we are we are kind of nice to startups, but maybe we shouldn't be so nice in the end because obviously they need to, I mean, this sounds harsh, but they need to learn as well that as soon as they grow a little bit bigger, we are going to turn around and try to find what's wrong with them. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, if you just looking at like Babylon Health, for example, I mean, they really, it's like, all startups have this kind of honeymoon period, right? Everyone loves them. They're doing great. And then kind of like a year and two, three, four years in, people are starting doubting them because they do one little mistake. And then all of a sudden, you're trying to find all the things they're doing wrong. Yeah, and yeah. it's not just media. It's also like <laughs> everyone else. Yeah. I mean, there's more users. There's more people that like you, but there's more people that don't like you, right? But so I, I always think, Startups, I equate startups as like, um, like, you know, as like raising a child, you know, like that's, how, you know, you've heard me say that before, but any, a lot of people use it in, and it's like, you know, your first, you kind of, you got a baby and you teach them how to walk and they kind of stand up. Okay. And maybe they can say a few words and, you know, and they can kind of smile and react. And before you know it, they can go to the bathroom on their own and you know, they can, they can uh, communicate in some ways. And as they kind of go through and then they become <laughs> you know, they hate their parents and they and they you know they you know everything they do is wrong you know <laughs> they kind of go through these phases but you kind of have to be really nice to startups because they just aren't they you know just like children like they don't have the wherewithal to handle you know everything the world has to throw at them so so be nice to startups maybe <laughs> yeah but there is a, well i i do i do believe in that but i also think that i mean i remember i mean the swedish journalists core i mean all of them uh not all of them but when spotify was growing up kind of uh and i know that people were obviously trying to find out things about them but it was like you know if you're a startup and you shut the door uh in the face of journalists mm-hmm. we're gonna start digging anyway i mean so perhaps we we, we want to be nice but maybe if you as a startup actually go head to head with your problems talk about it i mean discuss it in media even i don't think that's a bad thing i think that actually i mean kind of being open about those things will actually create a, a even more a likability uh, both right. amongst yeah. users but also yeah among journalists and i think that's well, uh, that's the way forward you know um one thing i always say like corporations don't have a soul right people have a soul and uh but I would say startups still have a soul because it's generally run by, you know, a few founders, right? And the, the soul of that company, the startup, is still the founders. And I right. think that's what, to me, it's actually interesting that Mimi brought it up because I think as, as a company grows or a startup grows and there's hundreds of people, you know, what's that soul, right? What's mm-hmm. that soul of a company? Um, uh, so I, I, I got hypothetical. When hyper- did it? Is it I, after 100 million euros or is it... Uh, <laughs> yeah, when, when, you actually- 
I'm getting philosophical. It's 8 p.m. here. I'm used to doing this from New Jersey yeah, during the day. So like you're kind of <laughs> what's the soul of a startup? I like it. I like it. <laughs> so I, I have to ask, and we don't say, uh, you know, the the situation that the whole society is going through right now. Uh, but you are in Sweden, and it's been uh, highly on one side contested the strategy, uh, on the other side. Um, praised by some uh i'm just kind of curious what's happening on the ground like what a you know well i don't know i'm i'm in the countryside I, nothing's <laughs> you, <here. laughs> you're hiding you're hiding okay <laughs> yeah no I, I i mean i think that people are a little bit more concerned than before obviously i mean we we don't usually well we try not to go on public transport if we don't need to and um i myself had to go on the tube for a couple of weeks ago and it was like was loads of people on it and you can always you can start feeling like wow there's too many people in here um but then i mean people do go to restaurants uh, it's it's not continuing as as normal but i think when people were really worried in like for well you know obviously in springtime and so on now people are suddenly hugging each other again. I mean, you know, Swedes, we always hug each other. Like the French kiss each other on the cheeks. I mean, this is our thing to do. Yeah. This is why I love that... Sweden. I'm a hugger, so <laughs> I love Sweden. But that's, that's obviously not very good now. So, um, but, so I think that maybe we are a bit more calm than more most places in Europe mm-hmm. uh, or elsewhere as well. But I think that... Um, I don't know. I mean, they say that there won't be a second wave of uh, COVID here in Sweden, uh, as, as it looks right now. But who knows? I mean, and I think yeah. with the whole way of dealing with it, a time will tell who did it well, who didn't do it well. And I think that the way how you, whatever way you deal with it, people are dying, right? So it's going yep. to be really hard to say what was right and wrong in the end. What I like about it is, is the, um, the decisiveness, like, you know, they, they kind of, you know, the fact that the community, the community got together, my actually my head of Europe, uh, for my company is in, in Stockholm, is in Sweden. So, um, but that, and so, and I remember from the beginning, they would just seem like she would describe it as very joined up with, you know, what the administration, the government wanted to do. So they seem to get ahead of the idea that you needed to have the society's trust to be able to do anything. And you weren't gonna get everybody. So not everyone was gonna love you no matter what you did. Whereas everyone else was trying to please, you know, became very, you know, obviously in the States it became very political, um, you know, or they try like, let's try everything. It's a little bit of opening up and a little bit of mass and a little bit of whatever. And then you, you don't know. know. I mean, it's still, it's gonna be playing, I keep saying whack-a-mole, right? Like, I mean, just just this morning, I think Spain announced that we started saying before Mimi joined that, you know, restaurants, bars will be closed for 15 days, you know, so it's gonna be on and off, but. Yeah, I think it's quite interesting because we had like press conference every day. I don't know if that's normal elsewhere, but I mean, every day it can't be any news every day right but we're gonna have keep on having this press conference yes to remind people that it's still an issue right and it's uh, but it's it's sweet that people actually do think that we're you know getting together but doing this managing this together but i, I think like in the uk i mean people have been you know queuing to go to the supermarket and uh, and that's a reality that we haven't seen uh, at least in sweden at all which is uh Oh, I, this was crazy. I mean, I remember when we first landed in March in U.S. I mean, you 
there were lines like crazy everywhere. It's like, it was insane. So anyway, let, let's, let's go on a brighter note a little bit. Um, I don't know. I just got sad that let's I won't be able to happy. hug people. Before we, go, before we go happy, before we go happy, I want to talk greenwashing. I love this. Idea. So your article was like on greenwashing, you know, the startups. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah, so, um, because uh, I because I think you know the fact that like, you go out and make a claim, like you make a claim. I, I guess the theory, right, is that startups would go make a claim that they were doing something sustainable, and you know, and then they couldn't really back it up, or their their numbers are off by like a million or something, you know, or a million carbon. <laughs> Wasn't that the article? That was a thesis. Well, yeah. I mean, I think that. I mean, I think it's really an interesting question because most startups they don't. Obviously, I think most startups that call themselves impact believe that they have an impact. Right. But I also think that perhaps investors are not that great at actually uh, checking them. I mean, and really controlling what they are doing is actually as impactful as they say they are. Right. And right. I, I mean, obviously, I was kind of, I was probably a little bit. In a, not harsh in this article, but obviously Voy uh, scooters they they did made a mistake in the campaign for a couple of years ago a year or so ago, where they happened to add three zeros to the kind of impact they had with uh, CO two emissions. I mean, very few big companies would would let that slip. <laughs> no, 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 no one actually would. Right. You know, but in this way, in this case. Yes, there were a few reports, but nothing else happened, right? right. So that's fine. Uh, but I think it's also interesting that they actually, I mean, this is, I mean, electric scooters, you you all heard the discussion, right? That they maybe yeah. are not as green as they say they are and so on. Right. But they estimated that um, that each and every journey with a VOI was actually replacing a car journey. And okay. that's not true because it's only like 14% or something like that. That's, that's right. But, um, you know, but because they saw it in the future, it would be like that. So I think that on the fun scale, scooters are much funner. Like yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jim has a lot of stories on those. And, you know, I was, I was just going to kind of add to that because I, I, I saw a tweet this was a while ago. If you torture data long enough, it will confess to anything. Right. right. And so it's, uh, you know, it's a little bit of the, the kind of the, the, the startup mentality that you're describing. Right. Let's yeah. torture this data to make the sound good. The one, or yeah, you, you, you use it like a, you use it like a drunk uses a lamppost. You remember that one? No. You know, data no. like a drunk uses a lamppost <laughs> more for support than illumination. That's yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that's, that's so true though. I mean, it's like um, when people are raising money, right? They, they learn how to only show the kind of data that's actually, that's actually showing that they are doing okay, right? So, right. but I, I, I think that perhaps, I mean, it's an honest mistake and perhaps as a startup founder, you probably believe that you are making a huge impact. Right. And uh, so it's more up to investors, I think, to actually find them out. But what was my key point as well, I think, in this article was that for very green areas like food waste, etc., no one is looking because, I mean, how could you ever cheat with food waste? And right. I think that's it's just one of those things that we I think we should always try to be a little bit more skeptical about these kind of numbers and because sustainability is such a hot topic right now 
I mean, obviously, right. everyone wants to show themselves as being uh, sustainable, and we should therefore yeah. be a little bit more rigid, perhaps, when we. Yeah, yeah. This whole like, we, I, like we were just paying someone to kind of authenticate all of our numbers on our sustainability initiatives. Like we paid some independent group to do like our carbon, you know, uh, emissions calculations, and in that way, you know, we had some, you know, so, so someone's making money. A third party. Of, yeah, doing the numbers for you. <laughs> Job creation is called. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we're, you know, I'm the timekeeper, and um, I think we can do this for hours with you, Mimi. But um, maybe just, uh, I, I know you've been covering Europe now for, I guess, two years, and mainly in digital health. Uh, maybe just some kind of nuggets, what you're seeing in the European market. What do you think, uh, you know, the situation we're in, has that sped things up? Like a little bit of insights from kind of on the ground, for lack of a better term, as you talk to cross Europe, cross yeah. Okay, so I would say this. I think, no it's very, <laughs> I think it's very, very hard to actually, you know, say anything for the whole region. I think it's almost impossible because everything, every country is so different. But what I can say is, I, I think it's, what it's interesting and what to keep an eye on is the European Union, the European Commission, and the regulations. Because more and more, I think that countries would actually follow the regulations from the European Union, not in the UK, perhaps. But one of those examples is for CBD and uh, medical cannabis. And obviously, when the European Commission decides how to treat CBD, then that will be picked up by, by most other countries in the, in the EU. So I think those are the things to maybe look out for in the future as well. And we could probably... Yeah. Ride yeah, the regulation like wave a bit. And do you see yeah. something like a DIGA? I mean, Germany took a big step being you know yeah i kind of said it the tweeted like all eyes are on germany right now in this sense will this then go at, at, at the european union level do you see that spreading to the neighbors in the dark or yeah yeah i see that that could definitely spread but i don't think it's going to come to european union because that's gonna i mean i think still most countries believe that uh, to bring to pay for digital solutions like they do in germany it's going to cost more money than actually save more money but i think they're wrong but i think each and every country is going to have to try to get their own uh, degas in place and i think that's going to take time and i also think it's going to take time for germany to actually make it work because they are not yeah. that digitalized at the moment and um, they don't really know how doctors would actually prescribe this I mean, yep. apps and so on. So I think there's going to be some issues. Yeah, I mean, there's still a lot of education to do, right? I mean, that's that's the at the end of the day, it's still prescribed. Um, we look like we look like five years out. I think it's going to be fascinating to see how, depending on where the startups come from, like our story that we started at the beginning, what digital health solutions are available in that market. So you're going to have this kind of in Europe, you're going to have this kind of fascinating like little um, kind of petri dishes of like. <laughs> you know, Portugal does telehealth this way and Sweden does, you know, whatever remote monitoring this way. And, you know, some of the frameworks and regulatory systems might start to norm out, but it's probably going to have, you know, that's what I would think like in five years, there's not going to be any real big consolidation of that. You know, it doesn't feel like the frame, you know, they'll... but, but every household will have CBD lotion. Anyway, well, on, on that note, <laughs> that, that was loads of fun. Um, I hope it was for you that late in the evening. 
And uh, for all our listeners and watchers, you know, hit that subscribe button where we hit over, we, we actually grow in every week now, Jim, it's not, it's not stagnant anymore. So that's pretty fascinating. Congratulations, guys. Is it Tuzentak? Maybe Tuzentak. Tuzentak. See you.